Good morning. Great to see everyone. Uh, Namaskat. If you were in Sunday school, you know what I'm talking about. And if you weren't, then talk to someone who was. Uh, but it is such a pleasure to see you here. Um, I have the honor of sharing with you today. For those of you who didn't know, uh, Pastor and Lenny were away at a pastor's conference this week. And one look at Mike and his family, and you can tell they were away on vacation for the week. So even though I am usually have the label as the busy elder, I was actually the one who had the most time uh, to be able to prepare a sermon. So it is my honor to share with you this morning. I'll be honest, I am cheating a little bit. Um, in the evening service, we're studying Exodus. We're up to Exodus 25, which is my chapter. And it's 40 verses long, so I knew it was going to be more than one sermon. I originally figured that meant two evening sermons, but then when I was asked to do this, I said, all right, Lord, maybe I'll start Exodus 25 in the morning, and then whoever can come out can hear how it wraps up in the evening. So tonight, 6 o'clock, if you guys feel so led, uh, you can hear the rest of the Exodus 25 sermon. But this morning, we're going to look at the first, 25, uh, sorry, the first nine verses of Exodus 25. So as you're turning there, I'll just give you a little bit of a review uh, for some of us. Maybe you haven't been in Exodus in a while. I'll tell you that we're well past the plagues. Right, Exodus is the book where God um, miraculously delivers his people from the bondage of Egypt and uh, leads them through the wilderness until they come to the promised land of Canaan. Uh, the plagues were chapters 7 through 12, and chapters 19, really to 28, uh, they are in the wilderness of Sinai. So on, in Exodus 20 is when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. That's happened already, uh, but he's still on that mountain and in that area for a while, Lenny wrapped up chapter 24 last week, talking about how Moses and the elders were called to the mountain uh, to commune with God, and how Moses was then called on his own to go and to be there 40 days and 40 nights. So that's where we find ourselves. Moses is speaking with the Lord on Mount Sinai. The Lord is speaking to Moses. If we can all stand in honor of reading God's word, I will read the first nine verses of Exodus 25. Okay. God's word tells us, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. You may be seated. Now, there's a couple reasons why I chose to stop at that point. One is because verse 9 says, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so shall you make it. And that is a diving board for the next 31 verses of chapter 25, as well as chapters 26, 27, 28. God has a lot to say about how he wants his temple and his tabernacle built. Tonight, we'll be looking at the Ark of the Covenant, the Mercy Seat, the Table of Showbread, and the Lampstand. So if those things um, spark your interest, or if you're wondering if those things still relate to us today, we'd love to see you tonight at 6 o'clock, but it was too much to get into one sermon. Um, God's Word is not something that we should rush through. 
Uh, so that's one reason I stopped in verse 9, but really an even bigger reason is verse 8. I don't know if it jumped off this page at you as it did to me, but in verse 8, God says, Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Just let that sink in for a second. The sovereign God of the universe is almost requesting to dwell in their midst. Not saying he's willing to, or he'll consider it if they do A, B, and C first. No. He's pretty much saying, listen, make me a sanctuary. I want to dwell in your midst. What an amazing thought that God said to the Israelites, but that we know is also true today. Um, the title of today's sermon is What God Wants. And it's purposely a very vague title, because I think if I went around the room and just randomly asked people, how would you summarize what God wants? There would be so many different but equally accurate answers. Well, he wants us to love one another. He wants us to love him. He wants us to obey him. He wants us to read our Bible. He wants us to pray. He wants us to bear one another's burdens. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But I'm just curious how many of us, the first thing we would have thought of, oh, you know what God wants? He wants to dwell in our midst. I don't know. I don't know if that's the first thing you would think of, but it is something that he explicitly states in this passage to Moses. Yes, he's commanding Moses to do it, but to me, if you're a parent or, a, or any position of authority, you know you can command something to be done, but you still want it to be done. This isn't God twisting arms here as much as he wants to dwell in their midst, and he wants certain things to be true throughout this passage. I believe that there are four things in this passage that God wants in order for him to get what he wants, if that makes any sense. For him to dwell in our midst, which he clearly, explicitly wants. I believe there are certain implicit things throughout this passage that we need to check our hearts and check our church um, to make sure that those things are in place. Um, so I don't want to minimize um, the grace of God, if I can say it that way. Tonight will be six o'clock, if I didn't happen to mention that. Okay? I mean, we don't have these specific items because of what Christ did for us, but I think sometimes we kind of get this air of, well, of course he's in our midst. No, don't, don't, don't take that for granted. Let's make sure that our hearts and our minds and our attitudes are where they need to be. If God wants something, we should want it. And yet I think very often we know that our wants go completely opposite to God's wants. So that's my desire today. I know that's why God brought you here, to hear his word, to be encouraged, to edify one another, and to see if our wants line up with God's. So let's pray, and we'll see what he has in store for us. Lord, I thank you. I thank you again just for the breath in my lungs. Um, I can't take that for granted. And yet you've given me so much more than that health to be able to come to church today. You've given me the opportunity to preach from this pulpit. You've given me the blessing of hearing others um, give you glory and preach your word. And Lord, we certainly are blessed and highly favored. Lord, as much as some people may abuse that term, Lord, we certainly know that it's true and know that as your children, we're children of the King. Lord, and I'm sorry when we do take that for granted. I'm sorry when we do abuse it for our own desires, but thank you for being sovereign, for being forgiving for everything 
that only you can do uh, to keep us uh, in your hands and in your spirit, Lord. And we just give this time to you. We pray that you're honored, and I pray that you speak in, all, in a way that only you can and that our hearts are open to hearing from him. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so four things that I believe God wants as, uh, from the Israelites, but as well also from us. The first one is in the first two verses. God says, The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. So I don't know how many of you caught that, but it might be easy to say, Okay, so the first thing God wants is a contribution. I guess it says that. But if that's all he wanted, then that's really all he had to say. <laughs> Moses, I want a contribution. Go get it. But interestingly, before he even says what the contribution is, he says, oh, and by the way, I only want it from the people whose heart moves them to give to me. It reminds me of what we read in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I find it very interesting that when God says to Moses, I want a contribution, he doesn't then say what the contribution is and then say, but only collect it from the people who want to give it to me. Isn't that how we usually operate? If someone comes up to you and asks for a favor, excuse me, could you do me a favor? You're going to tell me what the favor, no, 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 I'm just wondering, can you do me a favor? Well, I kind of know what you're, no, 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 but that's what God's saying. God's not saying, well, I want this from you. Would you be willing to give this to me versus would you be willing? No. He's saying, I want a contribution. And as his children, why wouldn't we openly say, well, of course, Lord, here I am, send me. Whatever it is he asks of us. But we know that that's not always the case because our wants don't always line up with his wants. So I'm going to say the first thing that God wants is he wants to be wanted. And part of me feels a little bad about that because it almost sounds like God's some puppy at the pound hoping somebody... No, of course not. He's not sitting there whimpering, wishing somebody would... He's the sovereign God of the universe. He's not any more or less God based on whether we want him or not. When I say he wants to be wanted, I mean that in his sovereign plan, he purposely decided that there would be one small piece of his creation that would have to choose to want him. Nature doesn't choose to want him. Animals don't choose to want him. Nothing of his miraculous and amazing creation chooses to want him except us. He has given us the ability to say, Lord, thank you for not forcing me to worship you. You want me to want you. And that's my first question. Do you want God? What are you even doing here? In a group this size, I have to believe that some of you are here because you don't want to get in another fight with your spouse, so fine, I'll go. Or, well, my parents are dragging me here, so it's not like I have a choice. Or, well, I don't know, because I'm going to see God someday, and, you know, when I do, I want to make sure he knows how many times I sat in church through some guy. I don't know. I don't know what you're doing here. But please understand that God is very clear. Your, Your presence here isn't what does anything for him. Okay? It isn't... All right, fine, you checked enough boxes, I guess you're good, come on. No! In fact, he makes it very clear that it's the opposite. I don't know how familiar you guys are with the book of Malachi, but man, I love the book of Malachi. It is the one book in the Bible that is actually spoken from the first person of God. It doesn't say, for the Lord saith. It says, I. 
It's God being raw and from a human perspective, emotional of saying how his people are driving him nuts. How he wishes they could understand how off their thinking is. In Malachi 1.10, he says, Oh, that you were that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. He's talking to people who are making offerings. He's talking to people who are religiously doing everything that the law says. Fine, he wants me to do this. Oh, time to go to here. Okay, okay, fine, I'll kill an animal. They were going through the motions, and some people would say, well, isn't that better than nothing? Not according to God, it's not. Because according to God, he wishes that someone would put a lock on the doors. Oh, that there were one among you that would shut the doors so that you can't come here and act like you're doing a good thing. That you can't just go through the motions and feel better about yourself because, well, at least I went to church. Well, at least I got myself up early today, even though chances are you still slept later on Sunday than you did Monday through Friday. That's almost true for everybody, but somehow we think we're doing God such a favor because we rolled out of bed and we read our Bible twice this week and we prayed and we remembered to... I'm Italian. I, I get some natural sarcasm in me. But I think there's a lot of truth in what I'm saying. Sometimes we forget. Why are we even doing what we're doing? Do we actually want God to be in our life, to be a part of our life, to be our life? Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. I've said this many times. I was well into my 20s before I found out that this wasn't written to unsaved people. That's, but, but it has to be. He's talking about knocking at someone's door and wanting to come in. I can't tell you how many youth conferences I went to where this was used to try to draw people to Christ. And if it does, amen. God can use his word in any way he sees fit. But please know that was written to a church. Please know that was written to the church of Laodicea who thought they had everything they needed and God says, you don't even realize that you're poor and blind and naked. And Jesus is knocking at the door of a church and saying, thanks guys, but like, could you let me in please? I know you think you're good, other churches in Revelation say that they have a reputation for being good, and yet Jesus knew they were dead. Oh my goodness, I never want that to be said of this church. I never want a stranger across the street or a missionary from across the world to come in here and say, hey, I heard. Oh, well, I don't know, that's what I heard. No, I don't want you to hear what's going on here. I want you to see it. I want you to feel it. I want you to know that you're in a body of people who truly do want God to be Lord of their life, who truly do want. They're not doing it because their arm is twisted or because, well, what can I do? He won't let me into heaven if I don't. That has nothing to do with anything. We are to serve him because we are to want him. David says in Psalm 51, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Please don't think that David's saying, I'm not going to give sacrifices. Of course he did. God commanded him to. David gave sacrifices. He gave burnt offerings, but he understood that wasn't what it was about. That God was not up in heaven keeping score saying, you did this, you did this. He's, 
No, it's about a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. That you will not, a heart that wants him. That's what gives him glory. And really, that's all that matters to him. Again, he'd rather lock the doors of a church that isn't revolved around giving him glory and doing what he wants before you even know what that thing is. I'm sorry if this sounds cocky, but I have to say it, and I will say it as humbly as I can. The leadership of this church prays on a regular basis, yes, that God will reveal his will. Why wouldn't we pray that? But we pray that, Lord, before you even reveal it to us, have us in a place so that when you do, we're able to do it. That we're agreeing to what God wants before we even know what it is. All that matters is he wants it. And if he wants it, we don't want to then say, oh, you wanted that? All right, let's steer the ship in that. No. I believe that God will always give us what we need to do what he wants. The problem is we have to want it too. So pray for us. Pray for the leadership of this church. That we never get so locked into what we want, however good intention that might be, that God's over on the side saying, yeah, but what about me? What about what I want? The church in Ephesus, great job, guys, but what about me? You left your first love. I don't ever want that to be said about this church. I don't ever want it to be said about any of us in here. So please realize, when I say the first thing, I mean the first thing in this passage is that God, he wants to be wanted. Check your heart right now and just ask yourself, do you want the same? Do you have a sincere burning desire, really. If the Spirit's in you, it's not going to be a little, yeah, once in a while. No. We screw up all the time, but do you at least want to honor him? Do you want to serve him, whether it be across the street, across the world, or, or just in the quietness of your heart? Uh, I'm going to leave it at that because only God can speak to each one of our hearts. But that first, those first two verses where he comes right out and says, from every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. I pray that that defines this body, this church, and this ministry. And if so, then verses 3 through 7 are written for us. It says, and this is the contribution that you shall receive from them. From them. From the people who want to give to me. No matter what I ask, they are willing and ready. Well, this is what I want. Gold, silver, and bronze blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins, goatskins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones, stones for the setting, and for the ephod and for the breast beast. Quite the shopping list. Um, I can relate to the gold, silver, and bronze. Not so much to the tanned ramskins, and the anointing oil. There's certain things in here I'm not going to lie to you. I, have, I read about them, but <laughs> the actual items didn't so much speak to my heart as much as the awareness that I think we all have that no matter what's on that list, it's valuable. It has value. It's expensive. It, it costs something to give it. And to me, that is the second thing that God wants. He wants to be wanted, but he also wants to be honored. And you might think those two things go hand in hand. Well, of course, if I want him, I'm going to honor him. Really? In the world we live in today, in even the Christian society, and I'm sorry, I'm going to go off a little bit here now, who have turned church into rock concerts and football jerseys 
And yes, I know you can honor God in a football jersey better than in a tie if you choose to. I get it. I'm making a broad statement that church has so much become about us. What makes us happy? What do we want? They use the phrase seeker-friendly, yes? If you've ever heard that before, it scares me when I hear a church is a seeker-friendly church because nine times out of ten, it means, listen, we're going to do what we think it takes to bring the people in, which means we're probably not going to preach about hell much. We're probably going to have great music and a great kids program and a lot of things that by themselves might seem great, but the intention is to get people in the doors. The intention is to fill the pews. And once again, God's on the side saying, what about me? <laughs> Remember? Wasn't it supposed to be all about me? He wants to be honored. And when he is not honored, again, going back to Malachi, <laughs> he's going to let them know. In Malachi 1, 6 through 9, he says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I... Sorry, sorry. And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us? With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? This is God talking. This isn't even a, a, a I know Malachi wrote it, but thus, no, God is pouring his heart out, saying, are you kidding me right now? You know what it means to honor somebody. You know how to honor your father. You know how to honor your governor. And you're going to lift them up higher than me? It makes no sense. But we do it all the time. We get so comfortable. Let's be honest. Why do I, quote, unquote, fear the police officer with the sirens behind me more than I fear God? Well, because I don't know if I'm going to get grace from that police officer. But I know I'm going to get it from God. He'll understand. I'll just tell him I'm sorry later. Where's the honor? How are we giving God honor when we think we're doing him a favor by rolling out of bed in our sweats and getting to church five minutes late? We, we have, there has to be, again, it's not about what you wear. Please let me have this moment of speaking in generalities. Only you know in your heart, are you coming here to give God honor? Even, I think pastor said this a few months ago, even in the idea of, well, I'm coming to church because I want to learn something. That's great. You should want to learn something. But God's glory has to be even greater than that. Even the thought that I want to learn something, I want to be blessed, I want to be edified, has to fall under the umbrella of, Lord, I want you to receive the honor today. Whether we've heard the song a million times or never heard it before, you can honor him. Even if you don't sing you can look at those words. I, I don't know how much, maybe these guys seem, I, my eyes are almost always closed when I sing, unless I don't know the words. But if I know them, I just, I don't want to be distracted. I just want to focus in on the words. I want to imagine that I know he is right there, but you know what I mean? That I'm just saying them straight to him because I want him to receive honor. I talked a few minutes ago about being a seeker-friendly church and how it scares me. Can I tell you, we are a seeker-friendly church. It's just, for the true seeker. 
I can't tell you how many people have come to this church and have, it's been such a blessing to the leaders' hearts when they say, oh, we've been looking for a church like this. I don't mean it to be cocky. God has his people all over the world. I'm just so thankful that we're one of them. That they say, oh, I was seeking, looking for a church that would still preach God's word. I was seeking somewhere that wasn't afraid to get into a book like Exodus. I was seeking somewhere that I knew that I was going to. We are seeker-friendly, but we're seeker-friendly with people who want to honor God. And I know we can always get better, always. If there's any, I, I pray God convict me, if there's any cockiness or, or anything that God break me of it. But oh my goodness, how sad that he even had to say the things he said in Malachi. How sad that he would have to say things like, I wish you would shut the door, or I'm going to have to remove your lampstand, or warning after warning after warning, not to the unsaved world, but to bodies of his people who just weren't giving him the honor that he deserved, that didn't truly want him. Those are the first two things I take from this passage, and the first two things that I pray are true about this body is that we want him to be here and that we want to give him the honor that he so richly deserves. If that's our heart, and I certainly pray that it is, now we can glide into the beauty of verse 8. Verse 8 was not verse 1 on purpose. God could have started the chapter by saying, and the Lord said to Moses, make me a sanctuary so I can... No. In fact, verse 8, you probably didn't even notice it. It still says, and let them make me a sanctuary. God is still harping on the fact that, listen, I don't want anybody doing anything for me unless it's coming from a pure and sincere heart that wants me and wants to honor me. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Again, I know most of us weren't here for Lenny's sermon last week. Maybe you heard it online. I don't know. But his title was The Presence of the Lord. And his points were the presence of the Lord among them. I think that I, I'm going to focus on the last two. The presence of the Lord saves. The presence of the Lord it brings communion. And the presence of the Lord welcomes us. An entire sermon talking about God's desire to have communion with us. And I'm listening to the sermon. You probably don't remember, but I came up to you afterwards and I said, well, I'll repeat, definitely be repeating some of that next week because God was speaking to my heart as he was speaking to my heart. But of course, God's never done when you think he's done. These guys come back from their pastor's conference on Thursday telling me that the theme of the conference was communion with God. All right, well, Mike, I don't know what God, well, Mike's over there. I don't know what God was telling Mike down in Florida, but I can tell you at least three-fourths of the elders were like, all right, Lord, okay, communion with you, communion with you. I, I'm going to use a little bit different word here, if you don't mind. I'm going to say the third thing he wants is fellowship. I'm using that word on purpose because it almost sounds weird. Like, to me, fellowship's more of a horizontal thing. You know, we're a church, I guess COVID pulled us back a little bit, but we're a church who truly believes in fellowship. We have our potluck fellowships, we have our community group fellowships, we have our midweek fellowships. We want to fellowship because God tells us to and also because I think we enjoy each other's company. But think about fellowship with God. I, I don't know. Like, even the word communion, I, I almost feel like I, I can understand better than fellowship, right? Just... There's such an intimacy and such a, a personal aspect of that. And yet in 1 John 1, 3, 
John tells his readers, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That is the same exact word for fellowship, koinonia. Those of you who are in, in reach, I know it was years ago now, but we used to always talk about koinonia, because the Bible has a few different words for fellowship. Some of them really do just mean an association or a partnership. But koinonia specifically means fellowship with the intent to benefit. You understand? You can hang out, watch a baseball game together, have some wings, whatever you want. That, that can be fellowship. But koinonia wants fellowship that produces something. That you are closer to each other and closer to God because of the time you spent. And the only difference, I looked them up, between the fellowship that he says with us and the fellowship that he says he has with the Father is that the first one is in the accusative sense. Tense, sorry. Meaning he's challenging them to have fellowship with them, that they should. The second one is in the nominative case. I'm a math teacher. But from what I read, in other words, it's a statement of fact. He's saying, listen, we know we have fellowship with the Father. But man, it would be great if you could fellowship with us as we fellowship with the Father. Again, just quickly going back to Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus isn't claiming real estate here. Hey, you told me I could have your heart. Let me unlock that door. No. He wants to come in so that he can eat with us, so that he can dine with us. We're going to look at the table of showbread tonight. Six o'clock, if I didn't happen to mention it for anybody who wants to be there. He wants to fellowship with us. What a beautiful thought. He wants productive, beneficial time spent. He's not just up in heaven. You want me, right, kid? Good. And, uh, okay, you're going to give me honor, right? No, it's, it's not the distant thing that so many people make it out to be. It is a personal, intimate relationship that he... I found myself thinking how much I struggle picturing that the God of the universe wants a relationship with me. And so I had a nice talk with my son about, isn't it amazing? I, don't, I think we take for granted that he refers to himself as father. Because as soon as I think of him as my father, what father wouldn't want to have productive, fruitful fellowship with his children? Of course God wants it. And I can't get the smile off my face just thinking about it. But then the smile leaves my face when I say, all right, but John, do you want it? <laughs> it's one thing for him to want it with me, but he wants me to want it as well. I'm going to have a picture go up on the screen. I'm sorry. My son sent me this. I, it, I knew it was going to be too small for you to read it, so just trust me. It's a keychain, okay? And on the keychain, it says, some of you aren't going to get this, but I can do all things through a verse constantly taken out of context. That's what it says. And part of me wants to buy that, and part of me feels like, all right, maybe that's the Italian in me that wants to buy it and not the Christian in me. But if you don't get the verse, the verse says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And people focus on the I can do all things. We, we've said this many times from this pulpit. And not on the, no, 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 not you can do all things. Christ empowers you to do all the things he wants you to do. That's how we believe it's taken out of context. But as I studied this passage, God revealed, I mean, I'm 50. I've heard this verse a long time. And this was the first time he made me realize Paul really isn't saying that as a promise for everyone else to, to claim. It doesn't say you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Of course it's implied. 
Of course, we all have the same spirit Paul had. But really, we walk around as if this is a problem. I'm a Christian. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That actually isn't what Paul's saying. This is very personal to Paul. I hope you know that. Right before this, Paul is saying, I have learned to be uh, content in all things. I have learned to abound. I have learned to suffer need. I have learned this. I have learned. And because I've learned this, I, Paul, can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I do think that we just carry that verse around in our back pocket like it's some magic card we pull out. No. No. Paul can claim it. I didn't know that we were going to hear it in Sunday school. But Paul can claim it because of Philippians 3.10. In Philippians 3.10, Paul says that he wants to know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. Paul wanted a fellowship and intimacy with Christ so badly that he knew that that desire would help him do all things through Christ who strengthens him. I know that we were asked for that verse to remind us to pray for other people, and I will, but very selfishly, i got to pray for myself first. I hope that's okay. I need to desire this level of fellowship that God wants. It's not about God. Not, it's about do I want it? Do I want fellowship on this level? Because then I can confidently claim I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus makes it very clear in John 15, 4. He says, abide in me and I in you. You might as well put the word dwell there. You might as well say, have fellowship with me. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That's not written to unbelievers. Would you? Guys, you need me. They do. This was written to his disciples. He's saying, listen, you might be mine, but if you are not abiding in me, if you are not having fellowship with me, if you are not having koinonia, productive, fruitful time in our relationship, you can do nothing outside of me. And yet we walk around saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, as if it's just some magic incantation that we can live our life any way we want, and then when things get difficult, oh, I got my Jesus card. Praise God, he can do that. He can do what he wants, when he wants. But the fact that we claim this so flippantly, really, I don't think we mean it, but for us to claim Philippians 4.13 with the power, the dynamite, those of you in Sunday school, that it is, we have to desire fellowship. With him, with each other, of course, but with him. Pastor's been spending months on the fruit of the Spirit. I sure hope you don't think that you're going to get better at those because you sat in a pew and listened to them preach. That's just not how it works. Anyone in this pulpit isn't the end goal. We're the beginning. We're the one that opened our mouths and God's word comes out and then your heart is spoken to and now it's, okay, Lord, I need to this. You want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit? You better grow in fellowship with him. You better grow in his perception and his power and his personality from Sunday school. How can you grow in his personality if you're not growing in fellowship with him? So when God says, I want to dwell in his midst, look, I get it. God's everywhere. You're telling me God's not here right now? Yeah. And are you telling me that's good enough for you? Just that there is a God? Just that oh, he has to be here. He's everywhere. I want him here. I want to be as intimate with him as Paul was so that I can confidently claim that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me.
Okay, so our challenge so far as we uh, round things up, God wants to be wanted. He wants to be honored. He wants fellowship with his children. And then lastly, as we look at verse 9, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so shall you make it. Okay, of all the verses, that's the one that sounds the most like a command. It technically is. I already told you. We'll talk about some of those things. When, Sean? What time? I was just making sure you were listening, sir. Well done. I know Sean will be here. So, look, there is. There's a lot of command in there. But what I want to focus on this morning is the word show. Exactly as I show you. A lot of commentaries say, oh, God must have given Moses a vision or, or a, a heavenly blueprint. I, I don't know. What I do know, and Lenny, I don't know if you know this, that word show is the same exact Hebrew word as Lenny talked about last week in chapter 24, verses 9 and 10. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. Same word. That word saw God is the same word he uses when he says, I want to show you something. And the reason that's important is because Lenny correctly said that word can't be literal. There's too many verses in the Bible that say no one has ever seen God. I'm just going to give you a few. Exodus 33:20. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. John 1:18. No one has ever seen God. 1 Timothy 6:16. Who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. John, we get it. What's your point? My point is Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. <laughs> All right, Lord, which one is it? And unfortunately, there are plenty of religions out there that claim, forget all the other ones we read, it's almost like they don't exist. This is proof that if you reach a certain spiritual plane, you'll be able to see God. God's not about being seen. He's made it clear you can't be seen, but as Lenny correctly said last week, it's not about seeing, it's about perceiving. It's about understanding. It's about knowing that you're in his presence. They just knew. I, I, I didn't show the rest of the verse. You guys can go look it up, but it says that the, it just describes what they saw. They didn't see God, but they knew they were in his presence. And that's the same thing here. When God says, exactly as I show you, I don't know how he did that. I don't know if he actually gave them blueprints or he just... Gave him a piece in his heart. This is what I want you to do. My point is the last thing that I believe God wants is he wants to be seen. And as soon as it shows up on the screen, you'll see that seen is in quotes. We get it. Not literally seen, but he wants to be seen. He's, the, he's God. He can do anything he wants. At any moment, he could part the clouds and say, hey, dummy, I'm up here. He chose not to do it that way. He chose, Romans 1.20, to use the invisible attributes all around us in creation that people should see him. But that's not what I'm talking about because that's kind of knowing he exists. Exodus 25 isn't written so that they would know he exists. It was written so that Moses could see him on just the, the, the exact level that he wants them to see them. Uh, I, I'm sorry if I misquote it because I was caught off guard when you said it, but the Helen Keller example, Right? It's one thing for somebody who can't see, but it's even worse for somebody who can and doesn't. Well, that's us. He wants to be seen. He wants his children to see him. Sorry. Okay, he wants us to see him in his word, right? As we read his word, are they just 
words on the page? Are they a homework assignment? Are they no different than a history lesson or an English lesson? Or are you seeing his son? It's not going to pop up. But in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You want to see Jesus in your life? Read your Bible. And he will reveal himself to you through his word. But then again, I somewhat also said it. He'll also do it in our lives. As you look back at those moments that you had no idea what was going on, and now you're like, oh, I totally get it, Lord. I saw you in that moment, past tense, which helps me see you in the moment, present tense. and gives me the confident expectation that I will see you for whatever the rest of life holds, future tense. That's what he wants from us. He wants to be seen. And even tonight, I'm going to stop joking, 6 o'clock, you get it. But tonight, we're going to talk about a lot of things that really don't pertain to us anymore. I'm sorry. We do not... Don't think we have an Ark of the Covenant. No, no, no Ark of the Covenant back there. It almost sounds like I'm being flippant, but come tonight to find out I'm not. I'm acknowledging that we we have something so much better. We don't need tangible, physical objects to remind us of God's presence and his blessing. We have his son. We have his spirit. We have everything we need to see him in our lives. But the question is, well, A, can you see? I don't know if you're all children of God today. If you can't, then the Bible's clear. The message of the cross is foolishness to you. I get it. But that verse goes on to say, but it is the power, the dynamite of God to those of us who believe. How can we not see him in our life? And if we feel like we don't, just take a moment to decide if that's your problem or God's. (laughs) Is God not revealing himself or are you maybe not looking so hard? My money's on the second one. Okay, so those are the four things that I felt challenged and convicted with in this passage, that God wants to be wanted, that God wants to be honored, that God wants fellowship, and that he wants to be seen. The fifth one will not pop up on the screen, but you better believe there's a fifth one, and it's going to sound very Uncle Sam-ish, but the fifth one he wants is he wants you. Do you understand? He wants you to want him. He wants you to honor him. He wants you to fellowship with him, and he wants you to see him. And I know that's always true, but oh my goodness, are you doing yourself such a disservice if we say amen today, and man, that John guy sure gets riled up, huh? Let's go eat. Are you kidding? I'm not up here performing for you, okay? I've had weeks for God to speak to my heart. You've had 30 minutes. So what are you going to do with the message that God purposely brought you here today It should have been a night service. Don't lose sight of that. How many of you know you never would have heard, not that my son, you know what I mean. You never would have heard this specific message from God if we had stayed on our certain plan. He wanted you to hear it. Do you want him? Do you honor him? Do you fellowship with him? Do you see him? In some ways, the answers to all of those are no, because we can always get better at it. But oh my goodness, I pray the answer to all of those are yes. I'm selfish. I'm sorry. I want to be in a body that 100% wants him, honors him, fellowships with him, sees him, and then as we fall short, we're there to pick each other up, to edify one another, exactly what the word of God says, to iron sharpen iron, to be blessed by what he's doing halfway across the world, and then be just as blessed at what he's doing across the street. That's what God wants. The question is, is it what we want?
I pray it is. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the honor of serving you. And Lord, I know uh, you made me a little, uh, I get riled up. Uh, but Lord, it's just, I don't know. It's how you speak to my heart. I, I, I pray that this never come across as a performance or, or anything other than I love everyone in here. And I love your word. And, and Lord, I, as was shared before, yes, we are to have a heart for the lost. But Lord, please don't let us ever stop having a heart for each other. We are already brothers and sisters. We are already one family who has been called to honor our Father, to want him, to have fellowship with him, to see him. And I thank you. I very selfishly thank you that you have not asked me to try to do that on my own. Lord, I thank you that, that my mind, so many people pop into my mind as I think of who you've surrounded me with that just sets that tone for me. Lord, that when I do take my foot off the pedal, you use them to just push it right back down. I thank you. I thank you for the spirit that you put in me that I know spoke to my heart way before these words came out of my mouth. I thank you for leaders who go to pastors' conferences, and I thank you for leaders who are able to take time away to be with their families. Lord, I know that's all important. Um, but Lord, I'll just selfishly thank you for the honor of preaching your word today of preaching again tonight. Lord, please be glorified, and please allow us to see the fruit um, of what comes from wanting what you want. So we thank you in advance for whatever you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You're good, right? Oh, thank you. I invite you to stand as we sing doxology to our God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless you all.